0: Episode 05 of the Giants of the Faith podcast. My name is Robert Daniels, and I'm the host of this show. This is the podcast where we look at individuals from the age of the church who have lived out their faith in a unique or interesting way. These are people who are giants in the history of Christendom. Hall of Famers, if you will. Today we're looking at the life of the first American overseas missionary, Adoniram Judson, and his three wives. Now, it's not quite as scandalous as that might sound at first blush, since he was, in fact, married to each wife at a different time. But we'll go into that soon enough. Good old Adoniram has been on my list of folks to discuss for some time, but one of the pastors of my church, the Reverend Greenwood, asked me if I'd covered Judson, so I'm bumping him up on the list. Adoniram Judson was born in Malden, Massachusetts, on August 9, 1788. This is just two months after the ratification of the United States Constitution, and only a few years after mr washington and friends had put the hammer down on the british in the war for american independence his parents were adoniram judson senior and abigail judson senior was a conservative minister in the congregationalist church in massachusetts little adoniram learned to read at the very early age of three and did well in school learning greek and latin by the time he was 12. in 1803 Adoniram fell ill and was forced to remain in bed for most of a full year. While recovering, he had a singular experience that would greatly impact his later life. He was lying in bed, thinking about what he would do with his life, what sort of career he'd have and where he'd go, when suddenly he heard an audible voice say, Not unto us, not unto us, but to thy name be the glory. This shocked him and would return to him as he grew older. Fully recovered, and at the tender age of 16, Adoniram left home to attend the College of Rhode Island and Providence Plantations, which later became Ivy League School, Brown University. While at school, he didn't meet Trevor Sharp, but he became good friends with a fellow named Jacob Eames. Jacob was a deist and skeptic of the Christian faith. Now, a deist is someone that believes there is a God who created everything and established a natural order, but he's not a personal God. He hasn't entered into the world or provided the scriptures as revelation. In the same way, a clockmaker builds a clock, winds it up, and lets it run. They think that God built the universe, set up some rules or natural laws to govern it, and is sitting back, eating popcorn, watching things play out. Adoniram thought this deism sounded pretty good, and while at school, he gave up his Christian faith, became a deist, much to the chagrin of his parents. As we've already seen, Adoniram was a pretty bright guy and he finished school in three years and was the class valedictorian. After university, Judson briefly ran a school of his own, and he authored a couple of textbooks for girls. He wasn't settled, however, and eventually headed to New York, where he became a playwright for a troupe of traveling actors. The story goes that this group of actors would travel from town to town, performing plays and readings, but would often skip town before paying their room and board. They'd basically skip out of town in the dead of night and stiff the innkeepers that hosted them. Now, this disillusioned Adoniram, and he quit the group. After leaving the group, Judson headed to his uncle's farm to retrieve a horse that he'd left there. His uncle wasn't home, but he did run into a preacher, who left quite an impression on him. This man spoke of God in a way that was personal. Adoniram felt a stirring, but his mind remained unconvinced about the personal nature of God. He left his uncle's farm, and he headed west. He stopped at an inn, and during the night he heard the man in the next room moaning and groaning. He was near death, and he could be heard saying, God, God, lost, lost. Eventually, the man went quiet, but his words had affected Adoniram deeply. The next morning, Adoniram awoke and went to settle his bill. He asked the innkeeper about the sick man, and the innkeeper told him that the man had died during the night. Adoniram inquired about the man's name, and the innkeeper replied that it was Jacob Eames, the very same Jacob Eames that was Judson's friend at university, the very same Jacob Eames that had led Judson into deism and away from his Christian faith. Adoniram was shocked. Here was a divine appointment that showed clearly to him the two paths he could follow, away from God and to death, or toward God and to life. Judson later wrote, Lost. In death, Jacob Eames was lost. Utterly, irrevocably lost. Lost to his friends, to the world, to the future. Lost as a puff of smoke is lost in the infinity of air. And Eames's own views were true. Neither his life nor his death had any meaning. But suppose Eames had been mistaken. Suppose the scriptures were literally true, and a personal God real. For that, hell should open in that country inn, and snatch Jacob Eames. My dearest friend and guide, from the next bed, this could not, simply could not, be coincidence. The death of his friend led Judson to return home to his parents, where he decided to enter seminary. He was not yet convinced of the truth of scripture, but he was compelled to study them. He entered Andover Seminary, founded by two of his father's friends, in October 1808. Within two months, he wrote in his diary on December 8th, this day I made a solemn dedication of my life to God. A few months later, he made a public profession of faith and joined his father's church. He threw himself with renewed vigor into studies. Simultaneous to Judson's spiritual awakening and growth, there was a group of young men at nearby Williams College who were caught in a thunderstorm and sheltered under a haystack. While sheltering, they began to pray and dedicated themselves to foreign missions. The men held on to their storm-prompted commitment, and began to call themselves the Brethren. While at Andover, Adenira met some of these men and quickly became a part of their group. This exposure to the Brethren and their ideas would eventually change his life. Judson had come across two works that fired his imagination. First, a book on life in Burma called An Account of an Embassy to the Kingdom of Ava by Lieutenant Colonel Michael Symes, an Irish soldier and diplomat. The other was a sermon titled, The Star of the East, by Reverend Claudius Buchanan, a Scottish missionary to India. These works, and his friendship with the Brethren, convinced him that he was to be a missionary to Asia and would leave his home in the United States to go preach and teach God's Word to those that had never heard the Gospel. Judson, and other members of the Brethren, approached the Congregationalist Church in Bradford, Massachusetts, hoping to gain their support for foreign missions. The church heartily agreed and formed their first foreign missions board. They advised the young men to wait for Providence to provide an opening for them before settling on a mission field. While in Bradford, Adoniram met the first of his multiple wives, Anne Hasseltine. Anne was a 20-year-old schoolteacher whom Adoniram fell in love with he began to write her letters, and only a month after meeting her, he asked for permission to become her suitor. Anne was slow to answer, and when she finally did, she sort of punted the question, saying he'd have to check with her parents. As I'm sure you can tell by now, Adeniram was a man of decisive action. He took this response, and he wrote directly to Anne's father, John Hasseltine. I'm going to read the unusually straightforward note that Adeniram sent, and while I do, Think about how you would receive a note like this concerning your young daughter that you just finished raising to a young woman. I'm not sure how I'd react, but Adoniram sure had some spunk. His letter follows. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring, to see her no more in this world, whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of missionary life, Whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death, can you consent to all of this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God, can you consent to all of this? In hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory, with the crown of righteousness, brightened with the acclamations of praise, which shall redound to her savior from heathen saved, through her means, from eternal woe and despair. So he's basically telling Anne's parents that he wants to marry her. She's going to be miserable. She's going to suffer. Eventually, she's going to die, and they'll never see her again until they all enter glory. Surprisingly, Anne's father agreed to the courtship and Adoniram and Anne were soon engaged and married at Anne's home on February 5, 1812. She told a friend, I feel willing, and expect, if nothing in providence prevents, to spend my days in this world in heathen lands. Yes, Lydia, I have about come to the determination to give up all my comforts and enjoyments here, sacrifice my affection to relatives and friends, and go where God in his providence shall see fit to place me it's amazing the resolve and determination that they both showed. They knew they were going somewhere harsh, somewhere unfriendly, and somewhere dangerous. Even just the journey to Asia was dangerous, and if they did make it, unknown perils surely awaited them there. Both Adoniram and Anne expected to die on the mission field. In Anne, Adoniram had found his perfect match. The very next day after their wedding, Adoniram and four other men were dedicated and ordained in Salem, Massachusetts, to be Christian missionaries to carry the gospel of salvation to the heathen. During the ceremony, the men were kneeling at the front of the sanctuary while hands were laid and blessings were given. Feeling a missionary calling on her own life, Anne slipped from the pew where she sat and knelt beside the men to symbolize the call that God had placed on her. Two weeks later, Adoniram and Anne were loaded on a ship bound for Calcutta, The trip would ultimately take four months. Adoniram knew that they would hook up with some British Baptist missionaries once they arrived in India, so during the long voyage, he and Anne studied and discussed the Baptist position of believer's baptism. The Judsons were Congregationalists who held to infant baptism, but on reading the scriptures and thorough discussion and prayer, they were swayed and changed their understanding of baptism. Once they landed in Calcutta, they were baptized by William Ward, Luther Rice, one of the other missionaries dispatched from New England, arrived shortly after the Judsons and was also baptized. This conversion and baptism left the Judsons in something of a pickle. They were ordained, commissioned, and supported by Congregationalists. They realized that they'd have to sever ties with their church and would be in a foreign land with no support. So Adoniram wrote to the Congregationalists, informing them of the change and separating from them. The Judsons and Rice agreed that Rice would return to the United States, since he was unmarried, and attempt to raise support from Baptist churches. He succeeded, and in 1814, at the Baptist General Convention, they formed the pedantically named General Missionary Convention of the Baptist Denomination in the United States of America for Foreign Missions, and they named Adam Judson as their first foreign missionary. Now, India at the time was controlled by the East India Company, which was a special British corporation that had governmental authority there. This is the same East India Company that chased and harassed Jack Sparrow in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. The company wasn't thrilled with having American missionaries in its territory. They didn't want to upset the very profitable apple cart they had going, and so the Jetsons had to leave Calcutta. Adoniram checked at the wharf every day for a ship to take them away, before finally finding a berth on a ship bound for Rangoon, Burma. By this time, Anne was expecting her first child, but heartache struck on the trip to Burma as she miscarried and they lost the child. The couple was devastated, but remained faithful. On July 13, 1813, they finally arrived in Burma, the kingdom that had ignited Judson's fancy before his missionary journey began. Rangoon was a city wholly different from what the Judsons were accustomed to. It was an eastern place in every sense of the word. Buildings were different, the language was different, the smells were different, the government was different, society was different. There was very little European influence to be found. They were welcomed into the home of Felix Carey, a British missionary who was stationed in Rangoon. He was very glad to see the Judsons, mostly because it meant he could leave, and that's exactly what he did. The Judsons knew that their first step in reaching the Burmese for Christ would be to learn the language. As we've seen, both Anne and Adoniram were gifted, and they quickly picked up the local language. One of the customs in the Buddhist country was for monks to teach and preach in the common areas, and one of the things that they would do is print pamphlets supporting their arguments. So it became apparent to Adoniram that he'd need to put the written word in front of the Burmese people. The Judsons labored for two years until in September 1815, they received word that the Baptists had appointed them as missionaries, and that they would support their work. September 1815 turned out to be a pretty big month in their life, as little Roger was born on September 11th. It was truly a time of great joy for the Judsons and for the locals who had never seen such a baby. Unfortunately, Roger only lived seven months. The family was crushed with the loss of their second child, But they continued on in their work. In 1816, Adoniram wrote his first tract, A View of the Christian Religion for Consumption by the Locals. Adoniram then began the work of translating the Bible to Burmese, starting with the book of Matthew. Anne set up a school where she taught boys and girls. Insightfully, Anne starts dressing like a native. It's pretty clear that she was interested in reaching the folks where they were. It reminds me of what the Apostle Paul wrote in First Corinthians 9, 23 To the Jews I became like a Jew, to win Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law. To win those under the law. To those who are without the law, like one without the law. Though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ. To win those without the law. To the weak I became weak, in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that I may be by every possible means save some. Now I do all of this because of the gospel, so that I may share in the blessings. By 1817, Adoniram has completed his translation of Matthew, the first ever book of the Bible translated into the Burmese. He immediately began working on a Burmese dictionary. He fully understood that language was the key to reaching people who had no exposure to Christian thought beliefs, and practices. To this end, he wrote a treatise about Burmese grammar and language in an effort to help his own and future written missionary efforts. Their next step was to try to further embed themselves into Burmese society. Almost every Burmese town had a building called a Zayat, which was basically a way station where travelers could seek and find shelter during their journeys. Buddhist monks would often set up shop in these Zayats and teach these travelers Adoniram decided to imitate this and build a Christian Zayat where he would spread the gospel. April twenty-fifth, 1819, he commenced his Zayat ministry. This was a great success for Adoniram because in June of that same year, he had his first convert as he baptized Mung Nau. Six years after first arriving in the country, they had the very first local Christian and they were stoked. Later that same year, Adoniram began a journey to meet with the king of Burma who lived in another city, Ava, where he hoped to petition for religious freedom in the kingdom. He left his mission in December and appeared before the king in January 1820. The king, who largely kept his kingdom closed off to outsiders, rejected Adoniram's request, and he was forced to flee. He returned to Rangoon and continued his mission. By July 1820, they had their tenth local convert and baptism. The Judsons continued their work, but Anne became very sick. She was always sickly, ever since that first miscarriage, but Adeniram was so concerned at this point that he sent her to Calcutta so she could be seen by Western doctors there. They suggested she return to the United States for a period of rest and recuperation, which she did. She was gone for two years, but when she finally returned she was healthy. In 1824, war broke out between England, through the East India Company, and Burma. As a result, Adoniram and other Westerners were imprisoned on suspicion of espionage. This imprisonment was horrible. Adoniram and the others were shackled to wooden bars, which were nightly lifted above their heads. This forced them to sleep, suspended in air, with only their head and shoulders resting on the ground. It was a miserable place. Anne was not imprisoned, however, So she was able to surreptitiously visit and bring food to Adoniram. She pleaded for better food and water for Adoniram, meeting with anyone and everyone she could. She even bribed officials to provide clean water for him. Adoniram and Anne were worried that eventually the works that they had written and translated would be taken and lost, so they came up with a plan for Anne to stuff them inside a pillow, which she convinced a prison guard to give to Adoniram. During this time, she learned that she was pregnant again, but she feared to tell Adoniram. Eventually, she was forced to tell him, and a few months later, baby Maria Elizabeth Butterworth Judson was born. It was a sticky situation, but Anne continued visiting and feeding Adoniram every day. She just brought Maria along. One day, however, she arrived to find that the prison was empty. All the prisoners had been moved to another prison. They'd had to leave all their clothing and possessions behind, including the pillow with the translations. They were constantly under the threat of death from the prison guards and worried that they were going to actually be burned alive inside this new prison. During this time, Anne became very sick and was unable to care for her little pancake. Adoniram was allowed to take the baby to a nearby village and find a villager to nurse her. Fortunately, he succeeded in finding someone and Maria and Anne survived. The war between England and Burma was coming to a head. The British forced the King of Burma to the negotiating table, and it was realized that they needed an interpreter to act on behalf of the King. Adoniram was sent for, and he was finally released from prison in November 1825. He traveled to the capital, under guard, and acted as an interpreter. Eventually, a peace treaty was signed, and the Judson's were able to return to Rangoon. In another evidence of the work of providence in their lives, one of the guards at the prison had taken Adoniram's pillow, the one that contained the translations, and had thrown it in the garbage heap because he found it to be too hard. He found it to be too hard because unbeknownst to him it was stuffed with the copies of scripture. Well, the Judson's former cook from Rangoon happened to be in Ava at the time and saw the pillow and snatched it up to keep it as a remembrance of the missionaries. Once the Judsons returned to Rangoon, the cook found out and joyfully returned it to them. All of the months and years spent translating the Bible had been redeemed by a series of seeming coincidences. The British built a new city, Amherst, in Burma, and the Judsons moved there and built a home. Adoniram began work on translating the Old Testament into Burmese. While in Amherst, the local British government sought out Adoniram's help again to negotiate a new treaty with the king of Burma. Adoniram was reluctant to leave his translation work, but he was tempted away by the possibility of religious freedoms being included in the new treaty. Adoniram left Anne in Amherst and went with the British to work on the treaty. While he was gone, tragedy struck. Anne contracted spiral meningitis and died on October 24, 1826. Adoniram was devastated. Unfortunately for Adoniram, his suffering didn't end there. A scant six months later, his little pancake, his daughter Maria, died on April twenty-fourth, 1827. And only three months after that, Adoniram learned of the expiration of his father, who had died the previous November. During this time of grief and mourning, he and another missionary couple, George and Sarah Boardman, opened a mission in the town of Mulmain, and actually opened the first church in Burma there. The missionaries began making converts out of the Karens, a group of people who worshipped animal gods. But Adoniram was crushed. He was depressed, he felt alone, and he was almost without hope. He closed up his affairs, sold all of his property, and built a small house in the jungle that he called the Hermitage, and he retired there for four years. He mostly left the missionary work to others who had come through the years, though he did continue writing and his translation work. When Judson was finally ready to return to mission work and resume his work in earnest, he learned that George Boardman had died of tuberculosis. Sarah remained, however, and she was a great help to Adoniram and a comfort to him upon his return to society. The two were married in April 1834, so that's wife number two. Sarah and Adoniram were happy for a decade. The couple had eight children, five of which would survive to adulthood. They continued the ministry to the Karens, and encouraged the Karens to become missionaries to their own people. As you've probably already guessed, Sarah became ill in 1844 and the local doctors suggested the couple return to America for treatment. Unfortunately, Sarah was not able to complete the trip and died en route on September 1st, 1845. Adoniram continued the journey to Boston and he arrived on October 15th. When he arrived home adoniram was greeted as something of a celebrity the papers had written of him and his exploits for years so he had a bit of a name and a reputation in the united states he traveled a bit and spoke of his missionary work in churches throughout new england adoniram had the idea to have a biography of his wife sarah written and published for the furtherance of missions he was introduced to young author emily chubbuck who accepted his proposal to write the book and his proposal to become wife number three. Emily was 29 years younger than Adoniram, so there was a bit of a stir about their engagement, but on June 2, 1846, the two were married. Emily loved Adoniram, and on July eleventh, the couple left the United States to return to Burma. By all accounts, Emily was a wonderful companion to Adoniram, and was a capable stepmother to his children. The next year, They welcomed a new daughter into the world on Christmas Eve, 1847. Adoniram continued his mission work of teaching, preaching, and converting until 1849, when after long years in the mission field, he became quite ill. Rather than returning to the West, the local doctors prescribed a sea voyage for him. They believed that sea air would be good for his constitution. Adoniram was reluctant to leave as Emily was pregnant at the time with their second child, but eventually he submitted. Unfortunately, the Sierra didn't do him much good, he did not recover from his illness, and he died at sea on april twelfth, eighteen fifty. The child was born a few days later, but did not survive and died on the same day it was born. Emily returned to the United States, but she died a few short years later in eighteen fifty four. Adoniram Judson and his wives had literally given their lives for the souls of the Burmese people. They had poured out their lives for Christ. Today, there are over 3 million Christians in Myanmar, the modern name for Burma, and Christianity is the second most popular religion there. The Judsons are truly worthy of the title, Giants of the Faith. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of Giants of the Faith. This is the longest episode yet, but I think Adoniram Judson is worthy of our time. I hope you've enjoyed it, but more than enjoyed it, I hope you are edified by the life and example of Adoniram Judson and his wives. I'm planning a special episode soon to discuss why it is important to study Christian history and what it can do for us, so stay tuned for that. If you have any comments or corrections, don't hesitate to send them along to podcast at giantsofthefaith.com. Until next time, God bless.